You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpas on Equal Vision Records and Sound Talent Media. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you more great content week after week. This week, we have one of the most prolific producers of the modern day, and one of my good friends, Mr. Casey Bates, is on the program. Casey Bates is an amazing producer and a great friend. Uh, we've been around each other for a long time. He started working with Portugal the Man on the very first record and has done so many releases. He had a podcast for a little while. He's a family man. He's got all sorts of things going on aside from um, all the work he does currently even with Portugal the Man and and uh, with Bobby Darling and and the whole family, as it were. So I've been stoked to get this episode out. I was so excited to have Casey on the show. We had a great chat. I had no uh, no question that we would because we had so much to talk about. We'll probably be doing a part two, uh, but I'm stoked to bring you guys this episode. Casey is one of the just one of the greats, one of the true greats in so many ways. So uh, cheers to him for coming on, and I think you guys are really going to like this episode. So let's get some business out of the way real quick, and we'll jump in. So peerpleasurepodcast.com is the website. It's your one-stop shop for everything peer pleasure. It's got merch. It's got uh, contact information. It's got all the episodes. So the one spot you need to send somebody if you want to tell them about the podcast is the website because they can scroll through everything and see it right there in their face. And uh, yeah, buy a shirt, any of that stuff on there. Uh, We should have some more merch up soon, but uh, right now we have the one shirt and Dude, this thing is badass. I just got one the other day in the mail, 
uh, so I could check it out myself, and it is killer. It's printed on uh, comfort colors. It's long sleeve. It's got sleeve prints on both sleeves. It's got front and back. It's intense. Anyways, so check out peerpleasurepodcast.com for that. Peerpleasurepod at gmail.com is the email if you want to get in touch with me. Uh, guest ideas, questions, comments, and go rate and review the show. Five-star rating if you if you like it, and take a minute and write a review. That stuff is awesome for the show. Um, it does great for chart position, and it's nice to know you guys are listening, and, and the thoughtful reviews, uh, good or bad, are, are awesome. So uh, that way other people, when they check it out, they can see if people like the show or not, and it's a good sign to, to have more reviews than not. So anyways... Go rate and review the show now, and uh, man, I am stoked to get into this one. This one is a long one, so I'm going to get right into it, Uh, but again, thank you to Casey Bates. Thank you to all you guys coming uh, back week after week. I just love uh, seeing the numbers grow and seeing people, you know, that have listened to every episode. There's people out there, probably yourself, well, of course yourself, if you've listened to every episode, this is one of them, so cheers to you. I cannot believe... You've listened to all all these episodes, but uh, it's amazing. Anyways, without further ado, guys, let's get into my chat with the one and only Casey Bates. Yeah, it's it's been a uh, it's been a, a in, in interesting ride. Um, I'm stoked you found the podcast for one because uh, I listened to the Casey Bates podcast back. I don't even remember when it was out, but I saw it. I don't. I came across it somehow. Maybe it came up in like a podcast you may like um, deal, and I was like, oh, look at that! And I clicked on it. It's like, oh, you're talking to Fear before. You're talking to you know. It like took me back in time. Uh, and it was awesome, but then it just disappeared. So yeah, it, um, it kind of like it was a uh, it had a limited like longevity to it. Like my 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 niche was very much like this is going to be me talking to the bands of records that I'd done, and it's not like I have a, a an 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 infinite list of records that I did, and so it, I kind of handpicked a few that I really wanted to talk about, and I had bigger aspirations, but I think starting it i was like after a few episodes the 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 ears that were getting to it were were pretty small and uh 
I was just kind of like, well, if no one really wants to listen to this. Now, that said, it's like I had I did have like some real big fans that were super into it, but that were usually into like whatever that band's record was like a band that loved De- or a, a fan that loved like Daphne Loves Derby was not like super interested to hear what ha- like Fear Before had to say. And so it, I didn't have yeah. like a lot of crossover either. And so it was really difficult. I just it was it was really cool that I did it for a, you know, a few records, but I just, I couldn't see it lasting long-term, but I, I really like doing it. Dude, it was awesome. It was done really well. I mean, I mean, you know, the sound side of things. So, uh, that was no surprise, but it was, I mean, not only did it sound good, but it was actually a very well done podcast. Like it kept interest, like a good pace. Like it was, it was solid. So like, I would recommend doing it again or even just doing one with maybe a different premise. Um, you know, I, I definitely enjoyed it, but um, thank you. Yeah, no, we did. did some good- uh, we, I did a fantasy football podcast for a little while uh, with Bob Darling, who you had on the podcast on your podcast a few episodes ago. Uh-huh. And uh, we we were really into that for a little while. And that had even fewer people listening to it than my podcast. But that was that was like we just get together with a few buddies on like a Monday and just talk about what happened in football over the weekend and just and drink beers. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was pretty fun. Yeah, totally but, loose and just yeah, do your thing. Yeah, are we going? Is is this happening right now, or are we? Are, are you? It's been happening. Me up? Oh, okay. It's been happening since you answered the phone. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, we're sitting in the same room because you're recording yourself. <laughs> I know. I'm like, hey, we're gonna take this whole production up a, a notch. I'm gonna record myself into a SM7 and send it to you. Nice. Yeah, I'm still using that AKG D9000 or whatever it is. And I think you sound great. D D9000. And, uh, yeah, yeah, man, it's, it's, uh, that's, I just, yeah, I start when I I press record, I say who I'm calling if I'm calling somebody. And that way I know when I go to the file, it's the right file. Cause will say, all right, let's call so-and-so. And, and I cut that part off cause it's super dumb, but, yeah. uh, maybe I should leave that on there for now. <laughs> all right, let's call. <laughs> and I'm like coughing or hacking or like clearing my throat. Uh, dude. Yeah. That could be your so, signature intro. Yeah, let me, all right, let me call you. even in person. Just say the same thing. All right, yeah, here we're gonna call. Uh, <laughs> ring, ring. <laughs> oh shit. Uh, sorry, I'm a whole. I've everything sounds different today too because I I went to an audiologist uh, appointment. Our local union is paying for all of us to get hearing aids, <laughs> pretty much what? to wear uh, or to get tested for hearing loss. And through all the music and everything else, I was told that my hearing is not, my hearing loss is not attributed to loud music and noise. It's genetic because of where they show the hearing loss in the Hertz. Mm-hmm. So like where, where mine's in the Hertz level, mine's at, it shows genetics because where the sound hits your ear first is what gets degraded when it's from from loud noise and my the spot of my ear where the noise hits first is solid so he's like i'm a little surprised here but it looks like it's genetics that's bringing your your hearing down so i have like a moderate hearing loss in the mid frequency um yeah so it's weird but anyways they clean my ears out with these tools and right then it was like wow i can hear better already and then <laughs> takes me in the booth and he's like actually you, you have some moderate hearing loss it's like oh great so man that's terrifying crystal 
Yeah. Are you uh, like, is it severe? Your mid range hearing loss? Like, is it something that's going to get worse? Moderate. Moderate. It will get worse. Yes, it will get worse. And then he said also, he's like, don't be too happy about uh, that. Your your you know loud noise hearing loss uh, streak is continuing because that can change at any time. So those grinders mm-hmm. you're around all day could eventually here in the next couple of weeks, couple of years, start to degrade that side, and then you're really in trouble. So, because that takes the high end down too. So like, yeah, it's anyways, it's it's crazy. I've never been to an appointment like that where you're basically getting a diagnostic on your hearing. It's have you ever done that as a producer? Like, gotten your ears checked? You know, I did one. Several records ago, I mean, man, so over 10 years ago, I had a record where I was in the middle of it and all of a sudden my right ear started just ringing, like just like, and I freaked out and I got like a sound uh, pressure level meter that I sit on my desk and try to keep everything around, you know, less than 85 decibels. And, and then it, it just eventually ended up going away and, and on it, and every once in a while I will do a an online hearing test where it just has like a sign, like a tone generator that starts low and then it just goes like boo and it'll just like keep going higher and higher until it becomes like a dog whistle essentially and uh mm-hmm. i've i check myself every once in a while and i'm i'm still good i can still hear everything just fine way up into the high frequencies but which is surprising because i mix loud and i spend when i'm working i'll be i'll be blasting my speakers i'm that it's a stupid thing i but I like to feel it like it's like part yeah. of how I do it. I, I I know a lot of guys that mix like real quiet and I don't even get it. I'm like, how do you <laughs> they're like they can actually like they listen for the bass and not feel it. And I, I'm like, I got it. I got to feel the kick drum like thumping against me. And so I, I'm yeah. really surprised that I haven't had any sort of significant hearing loss. Dude, that's the same with me. Like, that's why I played so loud live. And I, I never wore earplugs because I needed to feel it and hear it. Yeah. clearly. And I couldn't feel like I was underwater. It just killed me. And like shaking your head around and, and moving around with earplugs in is so weird. And uh, yeah, so I, I definitely understand that side of it. And and I'm shocked that your ears are still as good as they are. And uh, yeah, they do. You, so that ringing went away. It's no, it doesn't continue. No, it was just like a temporary thing. I went to the doctor and they said, let's give it a little bit of time. Like it was weird. It was almost like the air got sucked out and I had this just bizarre ringing and I it really scared me because I was like, man, what am I going to do if I can't record music anymore? I'm like screwed. But yeah, I got very lucky and it went away. Dude, because I they said I have tinnitus or tinnitus, as they called it. Uh, Yeah. But they were able to basically. So he knew I was a musician. And so he's like, okay, now we can kind of talk about things on a different level which we did. And he was talking about, okay, okay, you know, what frequency would you say your, your tinnitus is at? And I kind of gave him a ballpark and he started bringing up this little beep until it matched. And then he matched it. And then I had him like drop it back a little bit in volume. And then with these hearing deals, uh, like they're, they're hearing aids, but they're like for everyday use, like not like necessarily an old person use They're for basically protecting the hearing you have. Um, and, and helping your brain uh, function better with getting, you know, uh, it basically he pulled up and he pulled up a uh, a grid like like when you're mixing. Right. You pull up like a compressor uh, or mm-hmm. an EQ. He pulled that up and then pressed a button and letters went all over it. And it shows you where each letter falls in the spectrum of uh, hertz. 
and decibel to where like the plosives are more towards the high, or the mid to high, and then like the the consonants and everything else are towards the lower. And so it shows like your dip in hearing loss and that shows you the letters you aren't hearing as well. And it's, it explains why you hear words differently. Uh, like if my wife says something to me, I have to have her repeat herself. She hates that. But it shows like a lot of the most common things are in that range. Um, but anyways, he was able to pull up that that tone and match it and then put it through the hearing device, which cancels out my tinnitus so I could hear no ringing. It was is it crazy. A, like a, is it electronic or is it like a passive device? I don't know. It's It's got a battery. That's all. It's a battery operated okay. like hearing. It goes behind your ear. It's very small. And then a little clear piece goes into your ear. And it basically, it's weird. It's like a noise cancellation thing, but for ringing inside your ear. It's weird. It tricks your brain. Um, weirdest thing I've ever experienced. But Doesn't it suck not, getting older? So nice. It sucks bad. <laughs> yeah. It sucks so bad. After being like, you know, being in, fuck, so many different like bad situations and awful tours and like just uh, dire conditions and shitty food. And I mean, it didn't matter to us then, but shit, it sure does now. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. And the weird thing is like, I don't feel older like i feel great like i mean i feel all right i shouldn't say that i said like mentally i feel like i'm still like in my 20s but i'm not there anymore yeah and you're a dad and i'm a dad it's it's crazy like i'm a dad <laughs> what the hell man like it's so weird to go how from, many kids do from, you have i have three. Oh my gosh <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I have one. You have one? That's enough. Yeah. She's yeah. three. <laughs> Does she run your house? Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's oh, uh, my nice. wife's very high energy uh, type A personality. And my three-year-old daughter is right there, right behind her. So I've got two of them now to contend with. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> my youngest daughter is runs the household. She is the, yeah. She's doing cartwheels and putting on performances and you better do this and this and this. And yeah, it's crazy. She, yeah, wrapped around her finger. It's, it's nuts. It's yeah. It being a, being a father is, is the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. And, and I, and I don't think I would have said that like the first year or so after having her <laughs> where they're just a baby, <laughs> but at like when, when they start walking and talking, it's, it just, you know the the biggest thing that came to me was you you start reliving things that in from your childhood through them that you forget about like playing with legos and stuff you're just like this is awesome i get to like do all these kid things again yeah yeah we actually build legos every day when i get home like for her birthday or christmas and stuff she gets like these lego sets and they have all these like different bags and instructions and i was talking to Who's I talking to yesterday? Uh, Cyrus from Newfound Glory. He, uh, we were talking about him playing Legos with his kids, and how he's super analytical. So they just try to go and build it, and he's like, "No, no, 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 no! Hold on, we got to follow the instructions." Blah 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 blah. Like, That's this, how I am. That whole thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, and I'm getting that way because I don't want shit to get lost because it's expensive. I know. I don't care about the rest. <laughs> it's just expensive. I was like, if we lose this, then we can't build this, and it's we're we're hosed. It's like a hundred dollar Lego set. And I had no idea how much those things were until recently. But anyway, it's like the 
yeah, the stuff that we did when we were kids or, or wanted to do that we were kids when we were kids and couldn't do, uh, it's weird seeing it as the parent angle now. Like the things where your mom's like, oh, one day you'll understand. She's yeah. fucking right. 100% right. Or you don't even, yeah, my mom would always say, like, you don't understand, like, the love you a parent has for a child until you ha- you get there. And, you know, I had dogs and stuff before I had kids, and I was like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I could love a kid more than I love this dog, but it's like, it's a totally <laughs> different level. <laughs> it totally is. It totally is. And I, Alan used to tell me that because he had kids before you and I did. And yep. he's like, man, the second you see that kid, I mean, it's just, I can't even explain it to you in words. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then it happened. I was like, okay, he was right. <laughs> it's it's yeah, it's a wild, a wild ride. And are you guys gonna have more? I think so. I'm just gonna be an old dad, but I, part of me likes it because it's gonna force me to stay young and to be like in shape and and like you know, I wanna I wanna I wanna be that 65, 7 year old dad that's still running around and in, in with his kids. So yeah, we'll see how that yeah. goes, man. Well, you got a good fighting chance at doing it. You've got a good, uh, a fulfilling career to where you're not like putting yourself in in harm's way all the time, you know. Except for you know working with some really uh, interesting musicians, you know. Like you think wait, wait, you think working in the music business is not risky to, to one's health? Oh <laughs> uh, well, maybe stress. Stress I me. Mean, I'm talking like you're not in construction where you're going to have a fucking building land on you. You know what I mean? Or like a crane hit you uh, or you're not a cop and you're not like a, a fireman. You know what I mean? Like your job is your job is uh, I guess. Yeah, I guess I take that back completely because <laughs> uh, starting, starting. I've been from in the some beginning, seriously shady situations be, because of music business. Most oh, of them no. most. Well, I mean, like it's I don't mean like. I got a gun pointed at me or anything. I mean, I'm just talking like partying too hard or <laughs> hanging yeah. out with the wrong people. Ending up in a in the back of an Uber in Mexico City at 3 a.m. You know, on, a, <laughs> on a Coke deal. <laughs> I've, it's, I've actually had a similar situation to that. And that was, uh, what was that? I did, a, I did a record for a band called Chiodos. Man, this was like, oh man, 2000 six or seven and like we had a great time making the record but after the record came out they were touring mexico for like four or five days and they're like you got to come out just come with us and and they're like you just you can run monitors or something and and, which i'd never done before and i was like yeah i want to go to mexico i love mexico and so we went down there and it was like this whirlwind like five day tour of like we were flying to each city it was like mexico city and I, I, that's the only one I remember, but there was like three or four other ones in like the capital of Mexico, but it was absolutely wild. And one of the most fun, like four or five days I've had in my life. <laughs> Did you stay at the Regent, uh, in Mexico city, the hotel? I have no idea. I, don't, I couldn't oh, tell man. you. It was those, it was one of those things where it's like four hours of sleep every night up till five or 6 AM. And then just like, yeah recovering most of the next day and and then <laughs> like going I, I ain't doing that again and then just doing it again the next night and the next night is that the devil record uh it was bone palace ballet was that record oh, okay so not the one with thomas uh fall troy thomas on it no that's 
I have worked with Fall of Troy too, and that that's I don't even know where to start. Like, where do we even talk about with the music stuff? Because I, <laughs> dude, I, where we we could start at the beginning because I mean I I don't know how long into your career that I showed up like randomly, kind of with the Portugal guys. Uh, like we always heard your name through the Gatsby's guys before. I think what well, you may have known Johnny. Uh, before I mean I know you guys met before you and I did, but I remember talking about Minardi. Name, no, 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 uh, Gorley. Um, oh, Gorley. Okay. Yeah, because we were you know getting with the Gatsby's guys early, early on in Anatomy, and then the Portugal record. You did the first Portugal record, um, mm-hmm. and they basically went up and and kind of wrote and recorded that at your place. Let's talk about I'm that a little bit. Calling. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that because uh so Natomy of a Ghost breaks up uh the infamous John asking me if I want to join Portugal and I said fuck no because I was so pissed that Anatomy was breaking up. I start a different band, he goes to Portugal, they sign to Fearless, or basically they take over our debt from Fearless to make the first record and they go to you. And that is before you and I had met, because I remember hearing the name Casey Bates, Casey Bates. I always heard the name, but I was never up in Seattle. I was never, you know, in that in that realm until later on, like church mouth time. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah. Walk me through that, because that's a that's an interesting one, because that was still Wes was still in the band. Mm -hmm. Um, Harvey was not. uh, It was just Wes. It was just Wes, Gorley and Zach. Um, and we, well, so to rewind a little bit, so I was, man, I, I got to look at my, like my, the timeline of everything I, cause I had worked with, I don't even know if Portugal was the first fearless record I did, or it might've been Gatsby's. I can't remember, but fearless had hit me up and they were like, Hey, we want you to do this new anatomy of a ghost record. And at that time, I mean, you guys were like this super hot band and everyone, I was like, this sounds awesome. I don't, you know what? Let me take that back. They might not have said, we want you to do it, but we're interested. Maybe you should, you know, meet the guys and see if it's a good fit or something along those lines. And so John, Wes and Zach drove up to Seattle to meet me. And the, and at that time, like, I think as they're driving up, I get a call from fearless. I think it was Graham and He's like, yeah, so this isn't going to be anatomy of a ghost anymore. Um, we don't know what we're going to do. And I and I'm like, OK, you know, and I and I didn't there was like not a name to the really the project at the time. And he's like, look, because I, I mean, maybe this kind of jives with what you were talking about. But like there was some sort of the band was dissolving. People were kind of going their separate ways. But there was some sort of tie to fearless. And the way it was presented to me was we don't know what we're going to do with this. Like I. We don't know if we're going to keep them on the label or if we're going to drop them, but we want them mm-hmm. to come up, these guys to come up and spend a couple of days with you, do a couple songs. And that's going to basically determine what we do going forward. And I, so the guys show up and I, I don't even remember if the name Portugal, the man was even mentioned at that time, but it was like, we're going to do these a couple of songs and Jason, their current drummer, um, yep. he came up and another drummer came up. And they were doing like a tryout for this new group. And one of the drummers was going to drum on one song and another one was going to drum on the other song, which was super weird. And I, and I, 
and it's all coming back to me because Jason's left-handed and the other drummer's right-handed. So there was Uh all these changes we had to make on the drums for recording. (laughs) But it was one of those wild experiences where, I mean, you know, Gorley and like, I met him for the first time and I'm like, let's talk. Like, how are we going to do this? Like, what makes you comfortable? Like, how do you, like, how how do you want to, how do you want to do these songs? And, and I think he'd said, there's not going to be any more screaming. It was all going to be like just singing stuff. And, and he's at that time, especially was very soft-spoken and, he mm-hmm. would just say yes to every single thing that I said. You know, I'm like, hey, what do you think about this mic? And you'd be like, sure. And I'm like, okay, do you want to do the vocals in the control room? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, do you want to <laughs> like sit down and do the vocals? And he's like, sure. Sure. <laughs> and so we like, all, I think most of the records on that record, most of the vocals on that record were him just sitting on my couch, holding it like an SM57 and singing the whole time. And literally because he he just said yes to everything. I thought that's the really the way he wanted to do it. And when in reality, I could have done it a more traditional way and probably would have sounded a little bit better. <laughs> but we did uh, we did a couple songs and and uh, came out pretty good. They're the both the songs ended up on the actual record. But then they went down to Portland. I sent you know I mixed whatever we did. I sent it back down to Fearless, and they were like, "Yeah, this is cool. Let's do a record." And then that was like Portugal demand. That's that's what it became and. They came back up shortly after that without a drummer, and we recorded the entire record without drums, which is hilarious. I've never done that before. So we did like the entire <laughs> thing. I mean, just like, you know, I'd be like, hey, should we just do this without drums? And John's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, let's do it. And so we, and a bunch of the songs on the record have like beats that we made, and all the beats are like, stuff like opening doors and like turning knobs and popping bottle tops and like clapping like in all of it was just made up by we didn't we didn't have drum machines i didn't know anything about that kind of stuff at the time like i had no idea and so we were just we made up all the beats with our own like stomping and like uh what's it called foley like sound kind of yeah and uh and then that left like i think a little more than half the record to do real drums too and then jason came up and had like the most difficult time that any drummers ever had where it was like, Hey, these songs are done. Let's write the drums to them. And, and it's just like, what do you do? You're like, Hey Jason, play a beat like this. And he's like, what? No, play another, play a beat like this beat. Or, and it was just the, the funniest. I mean, you know, Jason, it like, he's just yeah. kind of like, he needs direction. Like he needs like a, like a pretty fur, like, Hey, let, play this. You played exactly like this. Not just like, throw out 15 different beats and we'll pick the best one. It's like, <laughs> it doesn't work, but we did that. Yeah. We, that record, man, that was like, that was a wild one. I can't believe they came back and did the second one with me. <laughs> Dude, it's such a good record. And to put the, like the beginning of that in, in perspective for you. So when anatomy signed to fearless, we were like, we were young we had Equal Vision after us and Fearless after us. Equal Vision offered us the sensible contract. Fearless offered us the world. And at the time, our manager, Kevin, uh, was, you know, pushing for the money, you know. And so Fearless, so like, I think Equal Vision, I forget what they offered us financially, but it wasn't much. And they, they're basically like, you guys need a van. You can borrow this Atticus van we have and tour. And which would be from a, if I was to go in there today, I would have said, hell yes, because hey, look, we're borrowing a van, don't have to pay for that, and they're offering us enough money to get the gear we need and do something, but we don't owe them a ton of money. Perfect. You know, and 
but Fearless offered us, they gave us 75 grand and a van, brand new, it was in our deal, a brand new van, non-recoupable. So they, in a $5,000 gear advance. So we went immediately, the worst place you could go, Sunset Boulevard, to a music store and blew the five grand <laughs> immediately. I got oh, one yeah. guitar, Nick got a drum set, I think John got a guitar, Zach got a bass, or John bought a microphone. Which is funny because then in arguments later, he would just bring up every time, all I got was a microphone uh, out of <laughs> that, that five grand. Right. This was back, we were a lot younger and we were always, we were not getting along at the time, but um, at that sense has passed. But anyway, uh, when we broke up, our manage, manager, Jess, did not, I don't know if he didn't know or was confused on okay, let's just break up. It was like, no, you, what probably should have happened is we went on hiatus and we're not in breach of contract. We broke up. So we were in breach of contract. We had not made the record for Fearless. So that $75,000 or whatever debt that was there for everything, basically Portugal took it over um, by, uh, they said, well, you can give us the van back and we'll take that off the bill. But funny thing is, John and Wes had taken Sharpies and for the last two tours been drawing all over the inside of the van, yep. like the dashboard. And you saw it like they at one point made water on the windows with fish. So it looked like we were underwater. Um, and then so <laughs> Fearless didn't like the new Anatomy record demos. We had played them for John Goodmanson. We were trying to get Adam D, I guess, is what I was told. Um I was just a, a guitar player. Like, I did not handle the business shit. Uh, John Goodmanson came down. We played the the new record for him live. And he's like, man, there's a lot of parts here. I don't really know what to do with this. Fearless hated it. Uh, told John that. John was like, Fearless hates the record. Everyone else got bummed out. We're ready to, you know, throw in the towel. Breach contract. Uh, okay, well, at least we can give them the van back. And that'll give them some more money towards, you know, what we owe them. And... So the morning I go to hand off the van, they send someone up to drive the van back down. Nick had gone and keyed the van. Fuck oh, fearless. Yeah. Yes. And but then he changed it. At, he felt bad because he wasn't home. I was driving from where I lived to show up and hand the keys over. I show up. The van says Buck Beerless. He changed the Fs to Bs uh, and let the air out of the tires. To where the van was in shambles, and I show up to hand this dude from Fearless the keys to the van to send back. And he's like, well, what am I supposed to do with this? I was like, dude, I do not know what happened last night. Uh, I'm just here to give you the keys. And he's like, fuck, man, I better call Bob. And I was like, fuck. Anyway, so that took some of the debt, and then this new record paid off the rest to where I believe then they went to Equal Vision. But um, that's what brought them to you. And- I did not even know that your name was in the hat. That's interesting. For that must have been right as things were going south. Um, yeah, I, because it was fast after that. I don't remember exactly how it went down. I just remember thinking I was doing Anatomy of a Ghost, and then when they showed up, it wasn't anymore. <laughs> and I was like, "Yes, oh. okay, okay." Because then, yeah, because then that was shit. Yeah, because they had Harvey and. Uh, Harvey and Nick Klein, our guitar tech, and then Wes, John, and Zach. And then they abandoned that and then became what they are now. Man. Okay. So 
and Waiter You Vultures is an amazing record. Like all those things considered going into all the weirdness and taking, I mean, a lot of the parts were from the anatomy record that John had been working on. I just don't think he knew how to piece them together at the time to make them work oh, I for mean, what we were doing. So like it lyrics was like, and everything else. I remember them when they came up to do the, the proper record. I was like, okay, how many songs we got? You know, and it was like, I don't know. And I was like, what do you mean you don't know? And like, well, we haven't written them yet. <laughs> I was like, and they're like, we got, we got parts. And I was like, what do you mean you got parts? And I was like, well, let me hear something. And I like, I remember I like had John sat on my couch with his guitar and I was like, I hit, I, I pulled up a click track and I'm like, I hit record and he plays like a four bar loop on the guitar for like five minutes. And he's like, there's a song. <laughs> there's like, a song. <laughs> I was like, what? And, and that is that whole record was done that way. And that's why it's the weirdest record. Like there's those, there's those, a couple songs where there's like bridge breakdowns of like the oddest time signatures. And uh-huh. literally it was just like, let's add another beat on that chord. And it, like, there's no rhyme or reason to it. It'd be like a bar of seven and then a bar of eight and then a bar of five. And then a, like, it's just, <laughs> but like my, like, I think me being naive to the whole process like played a role in it because yeah, when I look back on that record and, and I listen to it every once in a while, it's a lot of fun to listen to and and there's uh, and there's some odd odd parallels to kind of what Portugal's doing now like but it's I mean back then there was no structure to it there was no like thought of like like any sort of like pop in it it was just like weird progressive mathy rock but there was this really cool weird edge to it that worked and i wish i don't know that i wish but like it would it'd be interesting to take that kind of that those songs and like structure them a little bit and tighten them up and get rid of some of the weirdness but we'll see if that ever happens yeah do a remix or a remaster and or go back to it yeah that's 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 crazy and to think now like think from then this kid sitting on your couch you know playing these loops to then you know fast forward a bunch of years winning a grammy and like being one of the biggest just bands slow in the world. like it's just slow playing insane. it to a grammy yeah just the slow <laughs> slow grind to the grammy the slowest i i've asked like the, when i tell people that they win a grammy i'm like just and, and i've asked so i'm like name any band that's been around for 15 years 10 years even and then has their number one hit like like and not only that but to not have like even like a hit like they've you know they had they had some bigger songs on on previous records but not like chart topping anything like that and like i mean do you know of a band that's ever done that like 10 15 years into their career it's all of a sudden they're the biggest band in the world i don't even it's insane no, yeah. and like yeah, all of a sudden, what Zach Efron's like posting a, a, a Instagram story, like singing along to it or something, yeah. like or Britney Spears dancing in her house to this song, and it's like, what the fuck happened? It's just this. I kaboom, can tell you, man. Oh, we we had the moment that, and I and I think I was there for it. I mean, they, everyone in the band probably has their own like version, their story of when things started to, to really change when feel it still came out and i was in portland i think i saw you at this time but i, I can't quite remember it was when portugal had donated a bunch of musical instruments i think to middle schools in the area or a middle school and 
the kids that had come to like their big practice space and were going to play feel it still uh, with these instruments and like the local news showed up and it was like this, it was this really cool thing that, that they did. And I was there to kind of record it and document the whole process. And my mom calls me and it's like, you know, this is, I think this start, it was, it was a school day. So it was like earlier in the morning and my mom calls me and she's like, Hey, so this so-and-so posted on Facebook that, that, uh, Kathy Lee and Hoda are singing feel it still on like good morning America or whatever, whatever show that they're on. Yeah. The today and, show. Yeah. The today. And I was like, I was like, what? And so then like my mom, like it was like some girl I went to high school with that she lived on the East coast and it was airing, you know, at three hours earlier over there. And so it, we were, we were, we, she would send me this video, like, uh, just her holding her camera up to the TV and it's them singing the lyrics with like a bouncy ball, like following the lyrics. And like, there's, you know, I might've been Hoda that was like, this is going to be the song of the summer or something like that. And it was kind of like this, Oh shit, this is crazy. But this is like, <laughs> that was that moment, like, at least for me where it was like, things are about to get crazy. And it really did. Oh my God. Yeah. I remember seeing that and I was like, what the fuck? And, uh, yeah, that was so, so crazy. And then from there, it just exploded. So it's so strange because they have so much better songs than that, but that's the one that like grabbed on, you know, like I, when I was talking to Zach about it, he's like, I don't even think that's the best song on the record, let alone the best Portugal song. Like we've, we're going to write better ones than that going forward. It's just not going to ever happen like that again, that lightning in a bottle kind of thing, which who knows, maybe it will. I mean, Look at, I mean, I mean, yes, bands being around 15 years, then winning a Grammy or having a huge hit uh, isn't very common, but bands having multiple huge hits is very common on a lot of, on a lot of levels to where they could write the next, you know, this next record could have you know, even bigger song, but probably not because that was probably crazy. not. <laughs> that was a, I, I think, I think they have it in them to do something special again. I, I don't know that you're going to hit that level of saturation like where it's just everywhere but we knew too when we were making that record that song had been i mean like that record took us four years to make and i don't i don't uh -huh. mean just me i mean there was multiple producers that worked on it i mean so many different people had a hand in putting that record together but that song came around somewhat early in the process in there was probably 20 different versions of it but there was always this like feeling that there's something special about it and it 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 never was going to go anywhere but it was just it, you know we we're kind of, we'd jump in and change some lyrics here and there and a melody here and there and structure it here and there and it just kind of morphed into what it ended up being and uh i, I it, but the funny thing is like i thought i was like this is going to be the biggest portugal song but to me that was like yeah i think it might have been people say it might have been their biggest song before that i i, I can't be sure but um i I was like, I kind of was picturing that. Like, I was like, this is where it's probably going to go. It's going to be their most popular song. But in this, you know, indie rock world, which is kind of nothing when you when you take when you transition into pop like we they did this like slow build where the song came out and it, it like got to number one on the alternative charts, you know, sl kind of slowly. And then it got to number one on the rock charts, like I want to say like early summer. And then the label was like, hey, we're going to try to push this to pop. And I, I think I, was, I remember looking on Spotify at that point and it was like at like 28 million listens. And I'm like freaking out. I'm like, this is the craziest thing ever. I'm like, it's there. I, I couldn't I couldn't fathom the amount of people that were listening to it. But then when it went to pop, 
it became hundreds of millions of plays. And you, it was just kind of this mind altering moment of like, wow, there's this, there's this real gap here between like this place. And then when you get into this next level, it, it, that was really fascinating. Oh my God. Yeah. It was into, I used to watch the Spotify numbers just to see how far away from the Beatles they were and try to like <laughs> keep track. Like, cause there's always this joke, like the, 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 well, a joke at work when I talk about when I left Portugal to, well, at the time to, to the plan was to join poison the well, um, uh, that's the time I quit the Beatles. That was the joke. Cause anytime that song came on, everyone would just kind of look at me and, and I just be like, fuck you guys. <laughs> like <laughs> Seriously. I was not a part of this. I was not a part of this record. I was not a part of writing this song, but they would all just leave me like, huh? Yeah. You like what you're doing now, huh? Or I would just, you know, in some fucking shitty, uh, new building getting built in the rain, like just cold as fuck. And just, yeah. Anyway, the radio's on and they're like, Hey, you could be doing this. Huh? Like, it's like the new thing to the do we quit the Beatles. But so that's why I started looking at Spotify numbers is how close they were to the Beatles. And it was pretty damn close for a while. And uh, <laughs> that I always got a kick out of that. Well, tell me this, Casey, because I'm I'm curious. I've never been. Of, of course, most of us have not been in a band of that stature uh, when it's happening. What was your role in in Woodstock and kind of how does a record of that size and budget get made um you know for for my listenership especially the ones that aren't in giant bands themselves um i mean there's a lot of moving parts there's several producers i uh, like mike d was involved danger mouse you you got atlantic records funding the thing you've got multiple studios you've got multiple trips here and there like how does that how does the logistics and your role of that work in a record with that much behind it Oh man. Um, maybe we should start the podcast now and, <laughs> and go for it. it. It's, uh, it was a process unlike anything I'll, I, well, it's a, I was going to say it's a process unlike anything I'll ever be a part of, but I've done quite a bit of work on the new Portugal record and it's very similar. Yeah. Uh, but it's, I don't know how it gets made. Honestly, it's, it's one of those things especially when you talk about a band that was pumping out records almost every year for a while and, and, and then kind of slowed down to every other year. And then it was a couple years. And then all of a sudden it's like a four year gap between evil friends and, and Woodstock. Uh, it, I don't have a great answer for you other than the label just was willing to deal with the bullshit. And it, and I don't mean that like, in a, in a terrible way. It's just that the band had the runway to refine and refine and refine and refine, like uh, to a point, like uh, to a maddening degree where it was just, well, why don't we put this out? You know, like we got this whole record. It's awesome. But it was just, but then the consensus amongst the group would be like, yeah, but it can be better, you know? And, and it, which is, no one has that opportunity today. Like that's not a thing. Like there's no scenario where I, I get hired to do a record and I spend four weeks doing it. And at the end of it, we go, yeah, but it could be better. Let's just do it again. Like it doesn't, it, it doesn't work that way, but somehow, and I, and I, I don't honestly don't know the inner workings of, of how all this, this, this played out like from a business side of things, but it was, 
I've kind of had this role with them. Like I did the first two records and then I had kind of a hand in almost every record, like up to till now in, in, in some capacity. Well, rich, their manager would always joke that I was like the John whisperer. I would like, just get the stuff finished. <laughs> like they would, always, they'd get it to like, they'd, they'd be, you know, they'd be working with John Hill or something and get it to like 90%. But the, it was like before they had the runway to stretch things out forever before that it would be like they get it to 90 percent and want to stretch it out and then rich would be like you got to go on with casey and finish this damn thing right now <laughs> and and uh, we and so and we did that for a couple records like we did that on um uh, satanic satanist and uh what was the record after that um in the mountain in the cloud yeah the first uh, that was the first on atlantic i think right yeah and i yeah. And so i had good success with them doing that and then evil friends came around and it, we Rich had it all lined up. He's like, they got to about ninety percent, and he's like, "All right, Casey, we're sending you. To, we're sending you in the closer, <laughs> the closer." <laughs> and I went down to Portland, and it, at that point, it was the seeds were already planted of like, we're just going to stretch this thing out as long as we possibly can. And so I didn't get it finished. I didn't. I didn't close it out that time. And so that one went long. And then the next record, uh, well, going into, and then into Woodstock, it was just an ongoing process. Like, yes, they were down with Mike D for some things and uh, Danger Mouse for some things. And I was kind of always like sprinkled throughout like weeks at a time. I, sometimes I'd be working with the other producers, but it was this like constant, like just being there and trying to facilitate things moving along. Like I had a, uh -huh. I remember I had a, a conversation with the label after, so we finished Woodstock, everything we, we, well, Woodstock's out, Feel It Still's out, and and we're talking about doing the new record. And I had a conversation with uh, their A and R, and about how can we do this in a time efficient manner? Like how can we, how can we record this record in like four or five months or less? And I and we, we had a long conversation, and and uh, I'm like, honestly, I think you're gonna have to give them like a hard deadline. Like you're gonna have to say, here's your budget, here's your time, you're gonna have to finish the record. And they were, they were just like, yeah, okay. And I'm, I'm like, are you prepared to, to stand firm on that? And they just like, wouldn't answer. And I was like, well, it's going to be another four years. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Strap in. So it's, uh, I, 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 I've learned an, an insane amount doing these last couple records. Uh, like it, it's been it's been a fascinating and just experience, but I will say like the amount of effort that goes into, I, I kind of equated it to like what I would put into an actual record, like a 12 song record for a band, whether we do it, you know, three weeks, four weeks, two months or whatever, that amount of effort for an entire record basically goes into each song on a, on these, on, on at least these last couple of Portugal records. Like, and I mean like, just time and budget and personnel and just work. Uh, it, it, it's, it's kind of painstaking and grueling, but we, we had a lot of like the problem with like this, not the problem with it, but the, the thing with it is that at the end of the day, feel it still made that process correct. You know what I mean? Like it didn't, it made it all make sense in a weird way. And it kind of like opened the door to being like, well, yeah, this is how they do things. And sometimes it's going to take a while, but I, it was, it was kind of this like 
validation, I guess, for this process that broke a lot of people. I mean, it almost broke me several times where I'm just like, finish the damn thing. Let's finish the record. It's awesome. Here we go. It's done. And it's like, nah, it can be better. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, then it, and then it was. And what can you do? You can't argue with it. You're like, yep, I guess. Yeah. I, I, got, I got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so you were, you were, you were working with, with Mike D and Danger Mouse at one time, like, or at several times, probably like you were there working alongside them. Like, is that how that was working or were you going down in between and like, just, you know, tracking, like what were, what were you doing on the record specifically? Like, uh, or was there probably tons of things I would guess like you were, you're the John Whisperer, but at the same time, like with your hands, like, are you, are you engineering with Mike D? Are you producing with, you know, what, describe that to me, because that's where I'm confused on what, who did what? Yeah, it's, well, I'm confused too. Uh, it's, there's, <laughs> Perfect. There, there's, I, I, I unfortunately did not have the opportunity to work with Mike D. That was, uh, that was at the very beginning of that process. Um, and, kind of before I had been brought in, I don't remember why, maybe it was, they didn't want me for that. Or I had a, I was recording a different band. I don't, I don't even remember, but, uh, but I worked with like danger mouse and, and like, we'd go down to Hollywood and we'd spend like the day in the studio. And then we'd always have like a setup back at like the house or the hotel, wherever we were. And that would be the time where we'd start. It, it basically, I was there to just kind of fill in the gaps of the day of like, well, if I'm inspired to do something right now and it's like 11 o'clock at night and here's an idea, let's, Casey has everything set up. You know, I got my Pro Tools rig, all all the stuff that we like to use. And so it's like not hard to like lay down a baseline or, or lay down, work on some vocals or like that was kind of the process was like double teaming it in a way. And I don't, I don't know I was just telling you, like, there's no time limit on anything. It's not like we had, we were under yeah. like a, the gun to like, this has to get done next week. And so I don't know why it was, it needed to happen that way. Aside from the fact that it's just the convenience factor of like, you know what, when I'm inspired to do something, I want to be able to do it. And so yeah, a lot, of, a lot of times John and I would get up early, we go get coffee and, and just talk about, you know, the day or whatever we're going to, whatever happened the day before. And sometimes we'd, work on some music. Sometimes I'd, I'd stay behind and he'd say, work on like, let's grab these sounds and like, let's start putting together a beat for something here or change this or edit this or fix this. And then sending files to danger mouse and he would work on stuff. Like it would just be this back and forth or we'd be in there and just working all together. I mean, at the end of the day, in those scenarios, I am not the head dog. I mean, it's, it's Brian, it's danger mouse. Like he's the guy making the calls and I'm, I'm learning and, 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 and like, that's my role in those scenarios. But like, I've, I've always just kind of taken on a, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything. I'm mixing things. I'm editing things. I'm recording vocals. I'm, it, it's just whatever the band kind of needs me to do at that time. And so, yeah, if that makes sense, it makes a lot of sense, but I, and that's why I was curious on it. Kind of, if you were doing all these different things or had one job, like, because when you're making a record, you know, from my experience, from the job of the producer, the engineer kind of have their own, their own thing, you know, but like you were, when you were making records before this stuff, like you were the guy, like you were the guy, yeah. they go to Casey yeah. Bates because they want the Casey Bates sound, right? They want, they want a case, a record done by Casey Bates. In this case, 
later in your career on one of the biggest records or the biggest record you've worked on uh, and you're doing like a little bit of everything, but such a critical role. I mean, that's that's a uh, an interesting place to be in, you know, or, or be thrust into, you know, you know, the guys. So that part's I mean, you know, you understand how they work. Um, you're also probably a little bit of a comfort zone too, having you around um, who's been around for so long and through so many things with them. Uh, I think but, that's I think that's a lot of it is the the comfort zone what what you just hit on it's um I they could you know they could have done these records without me uh I don't know that they would be largely different than they you know ended up being uh probably would have taken a little bit longer <laughs> than they took to make <laughs> yes. but um I think it speaks to well and I have thought about it too because it's a weird it is a weird a very odd thing for someone like me where I've, I kind of ran, I would run the whole ship. It would be like, I'm, I'm engineering, I'm producing and I'm mixing. And and the majority of the records that I've done are that. And, and so I kind of just run the whole show. Whereas in this scenario, it's, it's a much different role, but it's, it's to me, it's this band, it's how they've always done things. And they, the attitude I think a lot was, you know, Casey was there right at the beginning and he helped us get started and we we did the first two records together and as we are, we become more and more successful we're going to we're going to bring him along and and if anything it's like to help me have that experience and to, and for me to be able to grow and and be better at what I do and they literally mm-hmm. think about things like that it's i've always i and i say to a lot of people i think they're the most generous band i've ever worked with like once they could literally afford to pay f- for dinner then like I haven't bought a meal with them when, when I'm around them in 10 years, like the, and even when they couldn't necessarily afford it, like they found a lot of value in reinvesting in their band. Like any money they ever made was let's keep the people we trust and, and like working with close and, and bring them along and share in that success. And I'm like eternally grateful for it. Like it's, I wouldn't have, you know, gotten the opportunities and stuff along the way, had they not been that gracious of a band. Uh, it's, it's a really unique perspective. I think that they have that not a lot of bands do. A lot of bands kind of tend to be like all success is attributed to me. It's I'm awesome. I did all this on my own. And Mm -hmm. uh, with them, I think it's a real group effort and they, they understand that there's a lot more to it than, than just what each individual person does. It's the people they bring along to, take pictures of them the the artwork that they do the the collaborations that they have it's super important and i and i i wish more bands would follow that example oh man me too yeah and i see exactly what you're talking about there i've seen it with wes i've seen it with uh even myself like things that are have come up recently that they're working on like uh call me up and say hey would you be interested in doing something like that? like bringing bringing me into it again too like it's uh, they're always looking for ideas on that or how are they, i mean john will call and give me ideas on the podcast and like, you know, Hey, if you ever want to like, look at rebranding, you know, I'd love to like bring some people in and see kind of what we could do. And, you know, cause it, it, they're always wanting to help out and, and uh, you know, take care of their own. And it's, it's just a cool thing, you know, like there's very, very few bands, like you're saying that, that do that and, and uh, kind of deflect the, the praise onto others. And, and uh I think a lot of it comes from the the Alaska roots of of just you know, it's a different world up there because it's I mean you can be on your own if you want to 
you depend on who you can depend on. But at the end of the day, like you're in a very dangerous environment um, that's just kind of sheltered from the rest of the world. So you kind of What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, They have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working as most people are online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, You can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, tier one, Tier 2 and Tier 3. Tier 1 is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier 2 gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier 3 is $20 a month. 
that gets you all of that. It gets you the past cast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the past cast. The past cast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of, of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month. Cause I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. Find the value in friendship and family and, and things like that at a very young age and keep it with you until you leave. And then you take it with you then. And that whole culture goes with you. And uh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely see what you're saying there. And the fact that they've done that with you is, is amazing. Cause you, you like, like we're joking about, we can talk about how you made John's career, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but that's uh, so awesome. And the, the things you get to learn in a process like this, you know, and, and now with this new record, I mean, tell me, tell me, I, I've heard it from Zach, but tell me what it was like from your standpoint going to the Grammys. Cause that's a fucking cool experience. I don't care who you are. It was uh, like, it was kind of, it was what is the coolest moment I've had professionally, uh, where I throughout the years, I mean, they're one of the, f they're one of the earliest bands that I started working with. And so between, doing waiter you vultures and winning a grammy you know there's dozens of records and i've i did and hundreds of people i've worked with and met and it was and, and along the way there were several times where where something would happen or i'd work with a band and be like man this is like i i, I would feel like the thing of like this has got to take off or like this has got to do really well and or people that i meet that are just like the coolest nicest people uh, an example is like Foxy Shazam. Like I met, I did their record somewhere in the middle of all that. The record, I think it's called introducing Foxy. And I just fell in love with those guys and I fell in love with like their energy. And, uh, I, I thought there were huge things in store for them. And unfortunately they didn't, it didn't click. And so there was these kind of like disappointments along the way that like were things I really felt like I was, and it wasn't necessarily attributed like to me. Like I, I didn't think what I was doing was so great that it should be awesome, but it was just the group effort. And I was like, man, this is going to do well. And so finally, and then with, with Portugal too, there was, there was disappointments along the way of like things that like songs that we did that I felt, I was like, man, how does this not like break through to that next level? And 
So when this finally started happening, it was it's just one of the coolest, most validating experiences. And, and, and when the Grammys thing happened, I mean, I was there like the morning when all the Grammys got announced, uh, like the nominations and I'm like reading through it and they weren't in like the main categories. And I was like, and then I, I got down to that, whatever pop group perform best, wait, hold on, best duo or group perform pop performance or something, some bizarre category. But it was there and it was the, it was a Grammy nomination. And I mean, I just like I, I, t- I told John, I'm like, I'm coming like I you have to let me come to this. Like <laughs> I was there like from day one. I was like, this is I need this for me. And, and so and just the I, at the time we ha- I had my daughter was like six months old. And so it was gonna be the first trip away from her. You know, of course, my family is ecstatic because there it's something that makes sense to people that don't know anything about music when you say the it's like an oscar the grammys it's like a very easy thing like for my dad who doesn't have any sort of like insight into the music business but he understands that and so he can tell family and friends that you know casey's going to the grammys and it like it it makes a lot of sense so it was really cool to see like that side of it but uh the grammys that year ended up being in new york city too which was i think the first time in in decades i want to say because yeah. usually in it's usually in la and it was at uh madison square garden and yeah we all went and stayed at the same hotel and we went down there and there was there was i there was like a feeling that that like there was a i, I had a feeling they were going to win and i don't know why like they're up against bieber and like i think uh despacito and stuff and they uh, when they won, I posted a video to Instagram. It's on my Instagram of like, the, I was filming it the whole time and I was just like, I couldn't believe it. I, it was like, and then we just like partied like crazy that whole night. And it was just <laughs> this just incredible moment of, uh, of, of seeing like quality people that are, are, are awesome at what they do and to like see it actually work out. It just felt like very validating. Like I was like, yes, like good things happen in this business where so many times it just, it never feels like it does. And so I, I, it was, it was one of the coolest moments and I, I did not win a Grammy. It was a, it's a band only thing. Like they, they're the ones with the Grammys. I do have uh, a foam, the foam that one of the Grammys came in on my desk. It's the cutout uh, that it was shipped in. And so that's, that's my, (laughs) that's awesome. my little tie to the to that i'm very proud of it <laughs> dude you don't have a grammy yet casey oh. you don't have a grammy yet just <laughs> well i think it's all tied to whether or not we can one up we can one up feel it still in the next one <laughs> yeah exactly well so this stuff this stuff so before before all this happened like so the first two portugal records are done um i mean things started picking up for for you as a producer getting records like you're a pretty busy dude like you working on records so this kind of stuff that goes for years on end kind of takes you out of the running for a lot of records doesn't it or does it are you still able to do these other records in the interim uh it you're 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 mainly talking about like the evil friends and woodstock years yeah like like did that kind of take you out of the running for doing it i mean of course as many records as you were doing per year but I mean, what does that look like when you're, when, when say, you know, like uh, a label comes to you and says, Hey, we want you to do this record and it's a decent sized band, but you've got like, you're kind of playing not babysitter, but like, you're kind of playing like the, the, the whisperer to Portugal. I like, I like babysitter. That's good. (laughs) Uh, Uh, 
no How it, it, it definitely it was definitely a I, I i don't know i i but there was yeah it, it, there was definitely a, a level of like being on call that was kind of always persistent um for the last several years of like and so but they've always been great about you know working around schedules and stuff more than anything it'd just be like I would be bummed to be missing out on like a cool thing. Like, Hey, we're going here to do this. We're going to go to this studio in this city with this person and work with this, this, and, and, and I can't do it cause I'm in the middle of another project. And so it was, there was definitely some opportunities I'm sure I missed out on, but that it didn't matter. Like the, the stuff that the opportunities that have come around since then and working with them have been like huge. And, 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 and it's not a, it's also the thing of like, to outside artists or, or people that, that potentially might want to work with you. Um, it's like, well, that guy works with Portugal, the man, you know, and it's like, it doesn't mean anything. Like I'm not like any better than I was yesterday, but because there's like an, a, like a name attached to it, it's, it's somehow like you have a credibility that this imaginary credibility that like helps you get open the door to other things, I guess. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know if that really exactly answers your question, but it, no, it does. Absolutely. I was just, I was curious on that because it, you know, once you get put on that level, like, and you're kind of in the interim here and there and a label approaches and, Hey, we've got, you know, you, can you take a month and do this record? One record though, I wanted to talk to you about specifically, uh, maybe the only one I wanted to actually talk to you about specifically because it's, I, I just had Nick Storch on. Um, and so he, he, uh, did the Foxy Sh- Foxy Shazam with New Weathermen, and but Heavy Heavy Lolo. <laughs> I wanted to talk about that record because speaking of like dangerous weird, <laughs> weird. I was talking to Storch and and I, I remember the story being told to me that basically like Robbie would go in and do vocals, and he would do it and then be like, all right, and then you'd be like, all right, we want to do another one. He's like, no, it's good, and that was it. Like just like, nope, no, that's fine. Wait, you sure you want to do another one? No, nope, that's good. And is that true? Like, tell me, walk me through that one real quick because that was an awesome record. Uh, uh, what's it called? Shit. I no, I forget <laughs> the name of that record. Uh, it's got the 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 shower oh, drain it's, on. Uh, it's uh, everything's watched. Everyone's watching. Yes. Okay. And uh, yeah, Storch and I had a good time re- reminiscing because we went on. I was with Portugal when we went on tour with them and poison the well, and it was a fucking blast, but tell me about that record, because that seems like a pretty interesting one, uh, from probably your standpoint. So let me think that came after Foxy, I think, uh, or no, wait. Yeah. That came after them. But I, so Nick and I, I, I love that dude. And we did, we did the Foxy record together and, had an absolute blast, like one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. And then like, you know, he's like, we got to do something else. Maybe it was before. I can't even remember I'm trying to remember. Maybe it was before the Foxy record. Uh, e- either way, Nick had hit me up and he had liked a couple records that I had done. I can't for the life of me remember which ones it was, but um, he's like, here's this band that I'm, I'm signing. I'm trying to recall all this stuff. It's been such a long time, but I want to say he started an imprint on ferret. And I, I think heavy, heavy Lola was his first signing or Foxy was, I can't remember. It was one of those two. Um, and he came to me and, and 
and he's like, I want you to do this record. And I, and I listened to, to what that band had done before. I'm like, man, this is not for me. I'm like, this is not my, <laughs> this is not my world. And I was like very transparent with him. I was like, I like this kind of stuff and this kind of stuff. And then he came back and was like, that's exactly why I want you to do it. And I was like, okay, all right. As long as we're all, as long as we all understand each other here, let's, <laughs> let's, let, let's, let's do this. And I, I had done some research on the band and I'm like looking at pictures online and I'm like, I, I'm like, I can't have these guys in my studio. I'm like, I can't even, <laughs> I, I was like, I, I was like terrified of, of having those guys in my studio. And so like, I took like a huge part of the budget. Like I, I'm a, I'm big on relationships and big on like building and like, I'm not so much like, I'm not trying to like, I mean, obviously I never spent a long time doing very low budget records, but it's like, it's more about building for me. And so my thing with, I, I really like Nick and I wanted to like start that relationship with him and, and also like getting into that world of like what a band like heavy, Hill, heavy Lolo does. And so to me, it was like, I want to make sure this is great, but I can't be terrified that these guys are going to destroy my house. And so I was like, I took a big part of the bu budget and I rented out this really nice studio with like a band apartment which ended up being like the best decision I ever made. Cause like, they just like are the craziest dudes. I'm sure, you know, and yes, I do. <laughs> and like, I mean, to this day, there was never been a process ever that is even remotely like that. I want to, I want to say we did the whole record in like two weeks, maybe, maybe a little bit longer than that. And it was just, I, I stayed at the studio, but I slept in the control room and they had like their own apartment, like upstairs. And I was like, I mean, I, I think unfortunately, like I never really like got close with those guys. Like it, it was just, it was, there was so much craziness going on. I like my, my one vivid memory of them was, uh, I, they would drink boxed wine because it was like the cheapest way to get like alcohol, like by, uh -huh. you know, getting the most alcohol by, <laughs> with the least <laughs> amount of money. And they would just like pound boxed wine all day. I was like, what are you guys doing? And they would just sleep. Like I would, I, I, I would, we, we would do drums. The one thing I'll say when it was time for them to record, they kill, they just killed it. Like it would blow my mind. Like we, we would like, ha we like maybe we had all the drums laid down and it'd be like, I, I like, I'm sorry. I don't remember all their names, but like, I, you know, the, the, it'd be like time for guitars. And so like, I'd go upstairs to the, to the band apartment and there'd just be like dudes just asleep on the floor. You know, it's like one in the afternoon and like, there's just empty beer bottles everywhere. And they're just like, just half eaten pizzas. And like, I just like go over to a dude laying on the floor and just kind of like kick him a little bit and be like, Hey, Hey, we got to do your guitar parts. He'd be like, Oh, what? Okay. And then like, just like get up and like stumble downstairs and then like we plug in everything and then all of a sudden it was just like from the moment we like hit record it was like he just starts shredding and like doing his thing and, and it was like that was the craziest part to me was like they were ready to go at any moment like they were just like all right it's my <laughs> turn to go I'll, and they would jump in there and just like nail it and uh so yeah with vocals robbie right that was his name yeah robbie uh-huh yeah, yeah. He, uh, <laughs> they were like, uh, we, I gave him a handheld mic. I want to say like, it, was, it had to be a 58. Uh, and he's, he had a big vocal booth and we just hit, we did, I want to say we did all the vocals on the entire record in like two hours, maybe three. 
And it Holy was like, shit. and it was like, we did each song like three times and he did it different every single time. Like it didn't, <laughs> I, I, I guess the lyrics were the same, <laughs> but like, it was just like different every time. And then it just was like up to me to like cut and paste the, like the parts that we liked for like each section. But it was like, a, it was like an improvised record i mean i'm sure they wouldn't say it was but from my perspective like what i was used to and like how i work with bands like it was the craziest thing i'd ever seen i was like it was the f it, it was over in a matter of hours and i'm like okay so and and then i think nick flew up like shortly after that and we listened to the record and he like loved it he was like this is amazing and i was like thank god because i have no idea what just happened <laughs> You pretty much just got railroaded. I'm just picturing you at night in the, in the control room on the couch with like the covers over your, like up to your nose, like with your fingers coming out, just like clutching it, waiting to hear what happens upstairs. Like, please don't oh. fuck things up. Like, I'm just terrified for your life. Like a parent that's with an out of control child. That that's exactly what uh, happened. <laughs> like on Maury Povich or whatever, where my kid's 13, has had sex with 17 people and blah, 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 <laughs> stealing cars and shit. The funny thing about that band is they are the most genuine human beings. It's just funny because they're just not normal. Like they're not typical. And it's not like a front either. They're genuinely that way. And they all found each other. Yeah. And they're incredible together. But like then you turn your back and, and they're like jumping out naked, throwing piss on you or like uh, <laughs> just – Chip doing fucking whippets in our van and then passing out in the trough of the sliding door for two hours, like stealing a bunch of canned air from uh, Office Max and then like showing. Oh us my gosh, that is terrible. It's <laughs> the weirdest thing. And I told Storch about this, like, dude, these guys are insane, but I love each and every one of them so much. And the Fear Before guys loved them too. And that's really, I think, what kept us from writing them off immediately as being just fucking weirdos is the fact yeah. that Fear Before loved them so much and we love Fear Before so much that basically if you're a friend of Fear Before, you're a friend of ours. It does not matter. Yeah. And seeing their love for them and just it had us give them a second chance. It's like these, you know, I would sit and talk to Robbie about movies for like two hours just and because he would just be calm and just talking, you know, and I mean, he'd be stoned or whatever and, and doing his thing. But then uh, he'd get on stage and just tear the place apart. And it was incredible every night. Every night was different, but they were just this like well-oiled machine of chaos. Yeah, that yeah. I, I could a just picture way to put you it. and them in the same room, and it just makes me laugh because you generated such a great record out of them. But yeah, like the improv side of it, like I could see you can you can hear the uh, uh, it's just a feral record. Like you and it's yes. awesome, yes. and I'm so glad it's in your catalog. Because it shows you can do, I mean, you can work with anybody. If you can work with them, you can work with anybody. I, like it's, <laughs> the, you know? I, I, that's, I know I, I took a lot of pride in, in like trying to be as diverse as possible. I mean, I've got like the <clears throat> softer rock side with bands like Daphne Loves Derby and This Providence, like to like heavy, heavy Lolo and the number 12 looks like you and Fear Before and like, and then everything in between. And I, I had a lot of fun and and also learning to appreciate genres that like I always found that as a challenge that I really wanted to take on. Like, you know, if 
it's at the end of the day, most of the stuff I was doing was guitar, bass and drums. It was just how you use those instruments differently that created these different uh, soundscapes. And so I was always game to try like to push into a different world and try this other area like like another a great example is like number 12 looks like you which was just like insanity and like but I, it was a, it was such a challenge to me that like i was like i know i can do it i'm gonna be like kind of behind the curve on this but there's something interesting that comes from from that it's like it's there's being naive to that like that world in a weird way can impart an interesting character on something and it's like we we just talked about that with like uh uh waiter you vultures like that was something I was totally naive to, but because of that, I think there's a there's a charm to it that is hard to like had someone that was well versed in that particular genre, they would have their set ways. And this is gonna be like how this is how I normally do things where I'm like coming at it from like, I don't know. Like, I mean, we did the number 12 looks like you record, and I remember the guitar player being like, I don't want distorted guitars on this record. And I was like, What? What do you what do you mean? And like it's like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I mean, there is on the record, but it, 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 that record is such a weird sounding record in that world. Like uh, I'm proud of that one. Like I'm, it, I, I'm really proud of the records that took me out of my comfort zone and, and, it, and made me like appreciate music from a different perspective. And yeah, I fear before did that to me. Like that was another, another record I'm in, insanely proud of, uh, was the always open mouth with them. Like they, nicest dudes ever and just what a learning experience and what a fun experience that one was dude i would love to talk about that record too because that is my favorite fear before record hands down favorite like that was the most ambitious uh and the fact that no one got it kind of made sense that it was so great because it, they weren't ready for it you know like it, that record and that really hurt them i think how the fans reacted to that record uh cuz they put so much into it just i mean just seeing doing that tour with them with heavy heavy lolo and poison the well they were like that rise that they had been on it seemed like even in their own hearts had kind of been shattered because of the reaction to always open mouth cuz that record was i mean you talk about records like ahead of their time, like, like relationship at command by at the drive-in, like was one that came out and is like, the world is not ready for this yet. But once it was, yeah. it was massive. And that's the same thing I thought was going to happen with all these open mouth because we'd been privy to some of the demos and stuff early on. So we were ready for some of those songs to, you know, be shown to us. It wasn't just handed to us as a finished record. So, We'd been able to sit with some of the stuff and kind of see the direction that Adam was going with his demoing. And uh, man, what a just an amazing record. But it was it's heartbreaking to see the reaction to it because it seems like it's almost like having a secret. Like we know this record's amazing and you just don't know yeah. it yet. And people still haven't found it to where it's like, well, this it's is like in the top 10 records. It's fucking great. It's, it, it goes exactly back to what I was saying about those moments through my career of disappointment where you're just kind of like, how does this not like catch people in, in, in a certain way? And, and it, time and again, like things like that, like those open mouth was a, gr a great example of like, yeah, I, it, it felt, it felt like a big stepping stone for them and a big change that I thought was going to be well-received. And I mean, I don't know that uh, I, you actually probably know more into that world than I do as far as how well it was received, but like, it, there were there was definitely it had its fans, but it wasn't like this big leap that I think we all thought 
it was going to happen, or at least I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it seems like it had the opposite effect. Like we all thought it was going to project them into, you know, full on headlining band. Yeah. You know, this is going to be your career defining record. But it had in the commercial sense, I think it had the exact opposite effect and took them down a peg or two. Uh, totally. Just from the fan response, ticket sales, all that stuff. I mean, they were, let's see, we were opening. We were opening. No, Heavy Heavy Lolo was opening. So, yeah, they were main support for Poison the Well on the Poison Well tour. And it was, I mean, it wasn't a big tour. Like, it wasn't, it was like 800 cap rooms maybe or or maybe 1,000, uh, sometimes even maybe 500. Um, and they were main support for that tour. And the shows were selling out, but you could see the response and, and, uh, you know, they were playing, oh, what did it end up being called? They were calling it, uh, they were calling it Epic. The song is called Epic. Oh yeah, playing, yeah. Yeah. But it's like something of our lives or something, um, that it ended up being called later or something. They were playing that on the road. And I just remember listening to Adam's guitar tone. He had that JMP and he just turned the gain way down. I just mm -hmm. had this like really chunky tone that really complimented Binks with his, you know, a little more crunch. And they were just really starting to kind of come into their own and realize who they were, but they were so beaten down by just like, fuck, man, like that record should have hit. And then I don't think everyone was necessarily into it 100% anymore. But at the same time, they were making this other great record, but they changed the band name. And then, you know, it's just weird, like the the turn of events on that. But just, you know, hanging out with them every day, you know, just hearing, you know, uh, oh, man, you know, people don't care anymore, you know, or like they just don't get it. And it's like, yeah, I know, man, it sucks. Like uh, it was just so weird because the Fear Before record is incredible as well. And it's, it's a totally different sounding record, which is great because it, it progressed from always open mouth. But then, yeah, I think, yeah. I think a combination of those things really started to uh, hinder the progression. And I, maybe it was an intentional, like a intentional implosion. Like, let's let's crash this thing. You know, I think. No, <laughs> I don't No way. No, we, <laughs> we well, I unfortunately am the one responsible for the name change. And it was literally like an offhanded comment that I was with Dan Sanshaw. I want to say, Adam, we are sitting in my studio and we we're just talking about that the this is the record after always open mouth and i think dan had heard it for the first time and we were just just spitballing like how do we release it like talking about stuff and and i'm sure you have the same thing where the shorthand for fear before the march of flames was always just fear before you're like hey i'm gonna go on tour with fear before i'm gonna go see fear before i'm gonna go do this this and you'd always just shorthand refer to them as that and I was just like, I literally was just, I was like, wouldn't it be kind of crazy to like change your name just to fear before us what everyone calls you anyways. And then it was like, they ended up doing it. And, <laughs> and like, it's, it's, it's frustrating too, because you can't even search for them on like Apple music or Spotify. It's just fear before it, it. Like it's still to me, it should be called fear before the March of flames, but like maybe name the record fear before. I don't know, but it was a, it was, I think that was a really bad bad call on my part should have kept my mouth shut <laughs> good job casey it's like yeah if between the barry and me changed the name to bt bam like <laughs> would get it you know everyone calls him bt bam but it's yeah it's it's a similar situation but yeah i and i love those i love those guys so much and they 
uh, Dave and I have been messaging back and forth on Instagram. I've been trying to get him on the show, and he's just not in the right spot to come on yet. And and uh, I feel for him, but at the same time, like we've been going through all these different memories and and things, and just discussing like the time they basically saved our lives, uh, giving us a place to live in Colorado until we could get home when we got ditched on that first tour, and like the whole th- the thing with like signing to Rise Records and and our records coming out, and then touring, doing almost every tour together, and then Gatsby's coming into the picture, and that's kind of how just everything came to be. That's how we came to know you, like. Uh, so many things happen from that relationship. It's just, it's, it's absolutely mind boggling. Yeah. But. And that's like, that's the whole thing, man. That's how I've lived. Like, or my career is like keeping the relationships to me are the most important part and like not burning bridges and trying to be positive to everyone, even when they're not being positive to you. Like that's, it's, it's hard sometimes. Like I've been screwed several times, but there's, I would say more often than not getting screwed kind of comes back around at some point and, and somebody that like, uh, well, they'll be like, Hey man, let, let's work together. Remember that time we, we fucked you over. Like you're really cool about that. Let's, let's do something else. You know, it's like it, it, I don't know. I, I haven't found anything positive to come from having like vendettas about anybody or like, it's just, it's so important to like, like you're you're saying with like that group i remember i was listening to your podcast with bobby and it's like this this and a lot of that i'm sure i got from him I and mean, bobby and i have known each other since high school we grew up together and and like it's this constant like family atmosphere like let's bring everyone along like like let's do these tours and let's bring our favorite dudes and like let's prop everybody up because if some, if one succeeds the other is gonna it's gonna help the other and i i love that mentality and and like just getting hooked up with a band like portugal where that is their mentality it's just i've been, I've been super lucky on that side of things yeah, and you you cultivate the same thing, like you're saying, like with with Bobby and and that whole environment. Like, if it's a win for one of us, it's a win for all of us. You know, like it's this cool thing where even being far removed from it, you're still so proud when you see something happen. Like the Grammy, I was jumping up and down when I saw it, like the, the the Grammy footage. Like I was like, holy shit, this is fucking awesome! Like yeah. showing it to my kids, like. You know, like this is huge, and then you know Zach saying "Hail Satan," I was like, "This is the best thing ever." <laughs> and, and then, you know, I was just so proud. Like I remember, uh, you know, Edgefield, like Edgefield, Portugal sold out two days at Edgefield, and I'm backstage on the side of the stage with with my wife, and and they take a quick like they're jamming for a minute. John comes off stage for a second to take a, a shot of something, and I just put my arms around him. And I just said, "I am so." fucking proud right now yeah. like you're doing it you know and he's just like thanks man like the, he was just so into it it's just like this tearful moment of like you fucking did it man like you did it all those times sitting on the couch dewey check out this part check out like dude fuck, i'm watching something or like i'm eating john like just give me no no just check out this part real quick like he fucking did it you know like it is so incredible and but i mean what you were doing in the studio with them is, is so key to what they've been able to accomplish as well. You know, like it's, you're like the, the, what would it be? The sixth, sixth member, five, six, five. Well, I'm, I'm, I don't even know what I'm talking about. Well, if you count all the X members, it's probably like 15th, but there you go. But like, you, <laughs> but you're, you're is as vital a member as, as any of them of that band and that, and what they've done and what they sound like and, and what they've turned out. I mean, that's a huge, a fucking huge thing. Not to mention, 
not even to, to like cast shadow on any of the other records you've done. You created like a sound, like you had like a sound, uh, like the Casey Bates sound, which you still do, but like working on this, in this capacity with Portugal where you're, you know, fitting in here, 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 and here on a bigger scale, you still have that Casey Bates sound. Like that's why labels send bands to you and not maybe Nick Storch. Cause he, well, actually, yes, because he, because of what you do is why he sent them to you, but same right, you know, right. opposite side of the coin, but you've, you've had that sound. I remember uh, just hearing people talk about the studio in shoreline. Like, where's your studio now? I don't, I just have a mixing room in my house. I don't, I got out of the studio game. It was just too much to even like, I, I, I had a big, did you, you, you saw my old big house I had in in North Seattle, right? No, I, the the shoreline place with the apartment and studio down in the, and the ground floor. And then you had the upstairs. That's the last thing I saw. That's, that's what you're talking about. Yeah. That, that was my last, that was like my last studio where I had like a, that was my house. I lived upstairs. I had a, like a yes, a basement studio with like a band apartment, and it was just man, bands trashed it so hard. I mean, you can't like there was. I want to say that whole basement was like fifteen or sixteen hundred square feet, which is decent. But then you like throw in five or six dudes that like don't like to clean, don't like to do dishes, don't like to take out the garbage. Uh, <laughs> it's it just it it. It's just, it was too hard. And so I ended up at some point, you know, we, I just started renting out studios when I needed it and like having my own space at home and just trying to have some sort of like separation too. I mean, even though I was living at the studio, I mean, this goes into a whole other thing of like, I worked like a dog for like the first several years of my career where I was, you know, 365 days, I was working 360 and it was like, and it's necessary. Like that's like the, that's what you do when you start. You hustle and you 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 build those relationships and you make it happen. Like you just force it to happen. But at some point you get burnt out and and there needs to be like a work life balance. And especially when you talk about having families and stuff, like it becomes really really important. Like as I'm sure you know. And uh, I yeah, I don't even know where I'm going with that. But it's it's well, you need to be me. able to separate. You need to be able to yeah. turn off and separate so you can come back refreshed instead of coming back beat down in the same, you know, just going upstairs isn't enough for most people. And that's why I don't use the studio in my basement at all. I'm sitting in my car because I can't separate. I got to be like away. I couldn't ever be motivated to go practice if we practiced in the basement of the house. Like I yeah. would go when we all had band practice, but if I was going to write something, I would go in the backyard, had to separate somehow, even the detached garage is separate, but being able to, to have your family life and your work life, that's the balance you're talking about. Having a separation between like in plumbing, a lot of things we do in plumbing haven't like by code has to have an air gap, right? So there's mm-hmm. no possible way that this can contaminate this because there is a space between them. It's an actual fitting that's an air gap fitting, which there's nothing in it. It's just an open deal. That's exactly the analogy that goes along with you need some kind of separation to com- to not contaminate the other, you know, it's, so you can turn off. You have that five minutes or 10 minute drive home now with no traffic in Seattle. It'd be like a 45 to an hour drive yeah. home <laughs> to clear your head. Be ready to go and pick up your baby, you know, like go and 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 say hi to your wife and and be clear headed. And then at the same time, maybe you had a fight with your wife or kids misbehaving or sick or something. And 
you're heading back to the studio, you need that time. You need that little bit, even if it's five minutes, like just to refresh. Like it's a big deal. Like if you just go upstairs and you hear the band fucking around downstairs or you hear the dogs upstairs running around and it's like, fuck, I need to get upstairs. You're never exactly in one space. Exactly. No, gone. I'd be upstairs and like just I'm like, there's five dudes that are from out of state that don't have a car anywhere to go. And they're all just sitting there. And if they could, they'd be recording right now. And but I'm not a robot and I can't record 20 hours a day. And so there's like that guilt and that lack of. Yeah, it's just there needs to be that. And it's it's also healthy from like a a a uh, quality side standpoint of it where you like. I'm a very fast worker. I'm I'm very momentum driven. And I'm like, I like to put in like six to eight hours of like, go. We are like, let's keep the momentum going. Let's keep everyone fresh. Let's like hit it hard. But and we've all done it where you're in the studio and you kind of get to that line and it crosses. And basically everything that happens after that point is going to get thrown out. Like it just doesn't, you, you lose that momentum and that creativity, but you feel like you should be continuing to do it and if anything you're just draining yourself further and further it's 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 so good to get out like go for a run take a walk like just separate it's so important absolutely absolutely and that's the fact that you realized that and realized that and and made the change you needed to make i mean i'm sure it's going to add years to your life it's going to make your your home life that much better and your creative your creative side is going to be inspired you know like it's just the the right thing to do, and that comes with getting older too. Is just realizing your limits, you know, and where you're where you want to impose limits, uh, and and change things. You know, it's a big deal, mm-hmm. and something when you're Absolutely. grinding, you don't see it. You just want to make that make that money or get that next record or or get that promotion. You know, like it's it's the same rat race that everyone's in. But once you've made a name for yourself and built those solid relationships those will take you further than anything else. You know, it's literally life is a hundred percent who, you know, like it's, it is, oh, it, abs- it, it's, it's crazy. It sounds superficial, but it's not, it's, it's who, you know, and on top of that, who you have a relationship with because of doing the right thing, you know, not, Oh, I know so-and-so I can get this done. It's no, I know so-and-so and we've cultivated a relationship together through trust and, and, you know, a mutual, you know, give and take, that's what life's about. Like, that's where you get those those solid, like, bedrock relationships. I, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's, it's like cheesy to say it's like who you know and networking and all that stuff. It was words that I hated to hear, especially when I first started out because I didn't know anybody and I didn't want to believe that that's how it works. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's that and it's being lucky. I mean, I've been extremely lucky to be put in situations where I've had opportunities, but, at, but then it's like the success comes from just being prepared for those moments. Like, and they may never come. Like that's where the luck happens is like, it, it's, it's, uh, Chiodos hitting me up and saying, we want the, like, they're the biggest, uh, band, indie band, uh, you know, equal vision band at the time. And they're like, we, we want to do our next record with you because of what you do with Portugal, the man. And it's like a lucky thing. And, but I'm like, ready for it and I take it and then like that record does extremely well and that propels me into a different world that takes me in down this different path where I meet new people and it's yeah it, at the end of the day it's just like be good to everybody like that's that's been my motto <laughs> of course that's and that's the easy it's like the the it's 
it's not, it's the easiest thing to say, but it's not the easiest thing to do. You know, yeah. uh, when you're in those situations where you feel the complete opposite, but nope, you know, you're a high road, you're a high road guy, Casey, like you're the take the high road kind of guy. And I love that about you. And, and uh, you know, it, going back to the who, you know, thing, like a, a quick example is I was given uh, Lars Ulrich's number from Metallica to try to get him on the show. Mm-hmm. I texted him <laughs> out of nowhere. <laughs> Here's a text. I tried to say everything in a very short text that I wanted yeah. to say to see what would happen. Did I get a text back? No. But the person who's cultivated a good relationship with Lars and spent the time and and built that could text him and he would text him right back. So it's not necessarily who you know, it's who you have who you know and have a relationship with. Because sure, you can say, Yeah, I got oh yeah, I got his number. I, I, yeah, boom. No, no, nothing, no dice. Which is fine. I'll text them again. I'll text them once a week for the next year and see what happens. Uh, I'm sure I'm already blocked. But anyway, it, it's just if you have the relationship there, you can get a lot more done, you know. And and uh, yeah, dude, I am I am. Uh, that's a good place to end it, I think, because we. I just really love your role in this whole crazy game uh, of the music business, and you know, in the time I was in, time I was out, to now. I mean, you've just been you've been a uh, a solid dude and and doing great things, man. And I'm stoked that you found the show and 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 dig the show. It's always inspiring when someone I look up to likes what I'm doing. So just like with can music, I, well, if before we end it, here, and you can before we end it, and you can cut it here if you don't want to include this stuff. But I'm I can I ask you a question about your podcast? Or do of you have, are you on a time limit? Do you need to bounce? No, no, I'm not on a time limit. Okay, I I, I was. So John uh, Gorley, he'd, he'd said like, you got to hear Dewey's podcast. Like it's like one of the best, you know, music podcasts out there. And, and I, for whatever reason, had forgotten about it. And, and, um, and then it was the Bobby Darling podcast that got posted. And I saw Ryan uh, Van Wergen, who used to be in Gatsby's he, on Twitter. He's like, Hey, he said something really nice about the episode. Like um, you got to check yeah, this out. Did. And, and, that was like the mo- I was like, oh, that's right. There's the I I, for- I totally forgot this podcast. I got to check this out, and I I listened to uh, Bobby's episode, and it was like a profound listening experience for me. Like it, it I I I really appreciate what you're doing, and I think uh, I think the angle that you take and the the thoughtfulness that you're doing in this, it's just not the same old like the. Uh, you know, baked in questions, like you're actually like digging in and, and like getting to like getting people to talk about things that necessarily wouldn't talk about. And it's like, I, I grew up with Bobby. We met each other in high school and like, I know these stories. Like I know all the things that you guys talked about, but like I, we haven't talked about it in f- forever. And, and it, it was like, a and, and I was telling, I talked to Bobby about it and I was like, I have a three-year-old daughter now and hearing those stories from like from him now and like getting that whole different perspective, like it was just amazing. And I, I, I don't know, I, I was really appreciative of, of that episode. And then that got me to go back and listen to like, I listened to Minardi's episode and Dan Sanchez and it's just, you're doing a great job, man. I, I, I hope that you, you keep going with this and, and keep pushing with it. Cause it, it, there's really something here. It's really cool. Oh dude, I really, I really appreciate that a lot. It means a lot, especially coming from you too. And, and, you know, it's, that's what keeps me going. Like I get, you know, emails and messages and stuff of people that are into the show, which is super awesome. 
but it means so much more uh, on a personal level from someone you know and someone that you know you respect what they do. I mean, you've got a good ear. You know, you you you're like John. A lot of you can see the end a lot of times. Like you can kind of you you got that that uh, I don't even know what the word for it is that that foreshadow like the the. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something so that it means a lot, you know, like uh, it really does. And that's what keeps me going. And and also being in that moment, like on the phone with Bobby or on the phone with you now, like going through these stories, like that's what inspires me. So when I, you know, am done, I hang up the phone or, or leave the room or whatever I'm at, I'm inspired. And like I've, I've taken something from that and it, and it builds in my own, you know, my own repertoire that you know, I can use in another episode or something I've learned or something that I've gleaned from this. Like I can only imagine like what Joe Rogan thinks about when he's laying his head at night, like the amount 1500 episodes of talking to the people. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. he's gleaned from that, you know, it's more than a college education, 150% like of what you've gathered. But yeah, that, I mean, that means a lot, dude. And I really appreciate that. And, and, uh, I just, I just do my thing, man. I just, I go at it as honest as I can, you know, uh, no, no flash, no nothing, you know, it's just cause the, the people are the real story, you know, like that's what I'm interested. In. I'm genuinely interested in hearing what someone has to say, you know, like that's otherwise I wouldn't do it cause then I'd have to I was, fake it. And that's what I hate. Yeah. And I, I was like kind of blown away by the fat Mike episode you did where I, like I've, that band is him in particular has been hugely influential on my life and like music and stuff. I mean, they were one of my favorite bands growing up and even still. And, and, and I, I never like, he's always been, uh, I've always had a weird relationship with him as a person. Like, I don't know him at all. And he seems to be into things that I would not be. And, and I, it was a really great, like insight into that world. And, it, it really helped me understand him in a way that I hadn't before and be a little more like accepting of that. Like, and I, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't know that might sound terrible, but I, I just, it, it helped me like understand. And I, and I, I found a new appreciation for him and, and like what he's going through as a person in his life. Like it, it was, it was a great episode. Well, thank you, man. And that's, and that's the weirdest event of my whole podcasting career. Is that <laughs> yeah, I, could, I bet. And that trip, which I think I talked about on it, but it, uh, it like basically every, ep- every interview with fat Mike, he, over the last like five years, six years, which are very rare, he doesn't do many. He's always trying to talk about who he is and the interviewer always squashes it and puts it on something else. Like he'd make a comment about wearing a butt plug on a plane or like he's trying to, in his personality, He's mm-hmm. trying to put it out there like, here's the bait. Please let me talk about this. And then they just squash it and go move on. I said, dude, I, I told Vanessa at Fat Records, I was like, dude, I will do an entire episode with Mike about BDSM. We won't even talk about no effects. I would love to hear his take on all of this because obviously it's a big part of his life, you know, and and uh, it came down to he just lives the most absurd like, like absurd, no shame life. And that's, he's found his happiness and completely who he is for everyone to look at. And it's a beautiful thing. Like he's found complete happiness. After that episode, we texted like, uh, I don't know, we text maybe once a week, maybe once every two weeks just to check in. But he went, he got sober 
shortly after that and was going to give it, you know, six months. And I think he's still doing it. I think he's still sober. And, you know, he's texting me at six in the morning from Mexico. Like, dude, I'm out surfing. Like <laughs> you, you, you told me like, hey, give me a call when you get into town. I wake up at noon. That's where you were. And like still doing like Coke residue off the desk to where now you're up. I mean, you're eating well, you're riding your bike, you're sober, you're building things, like making things happen. It was kind of cool to see how soon after that, that he started doing that because we went to some dark spots and, and he was able to actually get it out there to people to hear. And I would send him, you know, copies of emails or texts I got about that episode. It was like specific things people gravitated towards and were glad to hear. And that felt so good, you know, and, but also getting to meet one of my heroes and dress up like a girl and jump in a pool, (laughs) whatever, you know, it was like, I was like, I'm just going to say yes to everything. There's a few of those situations I'm in right now where I'm just going to say yes to everything and see where this goes. And I love uh, it. That was one of them, you know? And uh, I love it at the beginning of the episode where it's like, it sounds like he's cleaning out his fridge or something. I don't even know what he's doing. And like, it's just kind of like I, you almost imagine him being like, oh, there's another interview I got to do. And then like you just like are asking the right questions and like engaging with him on a on a level that he probably doesn't ever get to have. And it was like it it switched pretty quickly to him being like, oh, yeah, music like you. And then he started talking about like his interesting chord progressions and stuff. And I'm like, and that's always been my thing with no effects is like the music has always been so cool and interesting, but they they never get the the attention for it and so it's really neat to see him perk up about that kind of stuff and then just yeah continue on with like his lifestyle and everything like <laughs> yeah i don't know man he was Keep texting going. me pictures of of girls like running horse track dressed as like in leather on a with a guy on a on a cart around his backyard while we're talking on the phone <laughs> like they're coming through to me and he's like you know just don't show these to anybody you know and, and uh anyway like he yeah, we, we went and did that, and at the end of the visit, he's like, you know what? There's about 15 or 16 people that I let into my world uh, like this, like in my backyard, doing these things we're doing. You know, it's a very small amount of people, and you're one of them now. And I was like, dude, that is the coolest thing anyone's ever said, you know? And we got up here to Punk and Drublick. Uh, I brought my wife that, that Friday. I was there Tuesday. Punk and Drublick in Portland Friday, I show up. You know, and he's doing his thing and he runs up, and gives me a hug and gives my wife a hug. And, and we're back there. It was it was uh, Hefe, Melvin, uh, their tour manager, Mike, myself, my wife and Mike Herrera. And uh, we're all talking and, and Mike Herrera is trying to get Mike to come on his podcast. And I was like, hey, man. So, <laughs> you know, I I got kids, you know, I want to uh, I'm, I'm going to watch as much of the decline as I can, but we'll probably bail out right afterwards. So uh, you'll probably be busy. So I'm just going to say bye now. And he's like, in perfect Fat Mike fashion, he's just like, why would I be busy? And like completely serious. And I was like, well, it's your festival. Like, you got to settle up. I mean, you got to do He's like, you flew to <laughs> my career is just kind of looking at it. And he's like, you flew to my house because I asked you to. You dressed up like a pink sissy girl and jumped in the pool. You're a friend now. I always have time for you. <laughs> And my wife looks at me and I look I at her that. and I'm like, that is the sweetest thing I've ever heard. And so we had a big hug, you know, and of course I, you know, we left right as the decline ended because we needed to get home and, and uh, to the kids. And uh, yeah, it's just one of those crazy things. It's one of those relationships that just spawned from a phone call. And I almost didn't call him back because he, he answered the phone first. It's not on the interview, but 
he answered the phone. He's like, hello. And I was like, hey, man, it's Dewey. He's like, you're going to have to call me back. I'm taking a shit. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. He's like, give me 15 minutes. I was like, okay, hang up. And I was like, I'm not going to call him back. This is going to be awful. And I almost didn't call back. I was this close to not calling back. But then oh I did, and I was gosh. like, fuck. It's just, and yeah, so it's like awkward phone interview for 20 minutes, and then we're in the pool <laughs> for the second second chunk, and it was just the weirdest most absurd thing which couldn't go any other direction with fat mike so uh, dude you killed it and that reminds anyways. me of uh mike herrera dude i well next time we'll talk about me doing the mxpx record because that was a yes like we should do a, a part two moment. for sure yeah but uh yeah he's hit he, me yeah my career i love my career but he was it was funny he was just yeah i'm trying to get mike on my podcast i'm like yeah you should do it and you should talk about this and this and this because we didn't talk about this stuff and i don't think it's happened yet but uh yeah, I don't know, but <laughs> well, hell yeah, dude, this has been this well, has been awesome. Yeah, I'm sorry we went a little long. It's turned into the it turned into my podcast here at the end, but I know I appreciate what you're doing, man. It's it's really cool. Keep it up, dude. Thank you so much. It means a lot, man. And same to you. And and uh, I can't wait to hear this new uh, Portugal record and see all these well, crazy things you're gonna be doing, man. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah, when you're when your kids graduate high school, it should be out. And uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll see if they win a Grammy at 60 years old. I don't know. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> right on, dude. All right, man. Well, uh, yeah, I'll be in touch. And uh, yeah, if you recorded yourself, I've got a backup here too. On this, this is the first time using the H6. I broke, I broke uh, my fear and turned it on, and it's working Ooh, fine. Uh, nice. But if you recorded yourself on your end, shoot that over I to did. me. Otherwise, I'll use this one. Okay. No, I got it. I'll, I'll send it over to you right now. Awesome. This is going to be on two separate tracks so I can delete your scratch track and, and give this a shot in audition. Perfect. I'm learning. I'm learning already. <laughs> awesome. All right, Dewey. Thank right, you for, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Dude, you bet. Thanks for coming on. It meant, meant a lot to me, buddy. So we'll, we'll talk soon. All right, dude. Later. All right. Bye. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Casey Bates, producer extraordinaire. And one of my good friends from from so long ago, we've we've known each other now, well, since the first Portugal the Man record. Uh, yeah, a long time. Anyways, cheers to him for coming on. Thank you so much for, uh, you know, enjoying uh, all these episodes and 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 listening and commenting and, and emailing and everything else. It means the world to me. And I, it just fuels my fire to keep making these episodes for you. And there's a whole bunch more done right now. So if something was to happen, they would all come out. But we are continuing to do more and more conversations. And yeah, let me know if there's a part two that I haven't done yet that you want done with somebody. Um, let me know who you want to hear next. Hit me up with some more guest ideas um, and we can go from there. I've got a ton. Like I said, I've got a ton in the can, a bunch coming up, but we can try to squeeze in what we can. I know things have been really busy, but I would love to hear what you guys have going on. So anyways, hit me up, peerpleasurepod at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, we've got a great episode for you next week. This was the second one this week. I've been trying to do two a week just for maybe a couple weeks and see what happens, see how that goes, because I do a lot of these conversations and, and I hate having to sit on them for so long. Um, but anyways, as always, guys, we'll see you on the radio.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.